Hey everyone. First off, we at the Familiar Strange want to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose land we're recording this podcast and pay our respects to the elder of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people past and present. And also pay our respect to the elders of the Squamish Nation people past and present. And we'd also like to pay our respects to the elders of the Wandri people of the Kulin Nation past and present, where we are also recording this podcast. Let's go. Hello and welcome to The Familiar Strange, brought to you with support from the Australian Anthropological Society, the Australian National University's College of Asia and the Pacific, and the College of Arts and Social Sciences, producing collaboration with the American Anthropological Association and coming to you from still our bedrooms. I'm your familiar stranger today, Lachlan, together with my familiar strangers, Ronan. Hello. Sean. Hi there. And Alex. Hi. Before we dive into today's discussion, did you know that we have a Facebook chats group? Join us on the Familiar Strange Chats on Facebook and provide some valuable insight on today's episode. By the time this episode comes out, the AAA conference will have happened in Seattle and we're still in the lead up to the AAS. Ronan, you're about to head to your first AAS conference. Uh, Are you excited about it on a scale of one to 10? uh, How much enthusiasm do you have? We're doing qualitative research, mate. What are you, a good sociologist? (laughs) Oh, so bad. So, okay, I'll answer that truthfully, maybe seven. Okay. It's going to be my first formal conference, academic anthropological conference, the first one. So for me, it's excitement and also slightly scared because I don't know what's going on. I mean, like the reason I took it, uh, I registered for this year's conference is because the theme is life support and I'm doing medical anthropology, especially focused on medical professionals living experience in a remote county in Tibet. So in that case, it's directly linked to my research theme, which I love it. And because medical anthropologists, sometimes as medical anthropology students, sometimes I feel like being marginalized in anthropology. So this year I was like, ah, oh, this is probably one of the lifetime experience that I'm doing my research and then this conference fit in, fit, fit in with my theme. So that would be my first thoughts. Keep my abstract and they got received and accepted and then I was like cool yeah it's not student conference anymore oh yeah it's a formal one amazing (laughs) (laughs) I need to write it properly (laughs) only for a given value of proper it'll be fine we find academics are famous for doing their writing their papers at the conference in the hotel room yeah oh really Mm -hmm. Or on the plane ride over to the conference, yep. Right. From Canberra to to from Canberra (laughs) to Melbourne, the flight is one hour. Yeah, I'm I'm going to write like two hundred words during that one hour as a second language speaker (laughs) in academic English jargons. Fine. It's also a long ride from the airport to Geelong. It'll be okay. Thank you. And Alex, you're headed to the WAS as well. Are you excited to go one to ten? I am. I'll go so far as an eight. I'll leave adventure an eight. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I know. Look, it, so this is going to be my first in-person conference for years. And look, as I was saying to you guys a bit earlier, the funny thing about the whole virtual versus in-person conference thing is that it really brushes up my sort of, I don't know, intellectual ideals of being a bit of a greenie and reducing carbon emissions, et cetera, et cetera. And the kind of reality that I really struggle to focus at virtual conferences. I have, at best, I can kind of pay a half attention. And often, even if the person's talking about really interesting things, I just tune out. I struggle to pay attention. And so I don't know if there's a conclusion there, but the importance of seeing it in person is a real thing. But of course, look, this year I'm really lucky. It's in my city. I'll be able to get to the conference easy, but other times, you know, I've had to fly and produce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, is it an essential part of what we do as anthropologists? I'm not sure. I want to jump in here because that's sort of remind me of this uh, idea by Arthur Clayman. His, his, the, cen- the central idea is like the, for care, being present, being there is important, one of the core value. And I guess for us being there and being present at the conference physically is another, is one of the core value too, because like being there, you could not only listen to what the other people talk, you could visually see them and you could feel the atmosphere, like being embodied in, you know, immersed in this um, environment and the interaction, the vibes people gave, the interaction they have. And these nuanced things are literally, that's make us vivid, make us experiencing and living in a way. And that's part of the anthropology, I think, from my perspective. Oh, absolutely. But my question is, you know, before COVID, I was booked in to go to a conference in Montreal. So I was going to hoik it halfway around the world. And it would have been great, but realistically, for a few notes in a sketchbook, meeting some new peeps, like it would have been fun, but should, given, you know, where we are in the world, is that, I don't know, that almost um, collective effervescence you're talking about, Ronan, is that worth the flight? I don't know, Sean, you're attending the AAA virtually. Oh, by the time this comes out, you will have attended the AAA virtually, but you will be attending the AAA virtually. How are you feeling about virtual conferences and the virtual attendance and all that? Yeah, it's uh, that's a hot topic for for debate, I think, in a lot of anthropological circles. Um, if I had to rate it on sort of a, like I said, one to ten, I'd probably sit it at around a five um, for mm-hmm. attending virtually. Um, the experience over the past three years uh, and the opportunities to have a more accessible conferencing experience to be able to uh, network, to see what's happening within the discipline, to be able to see different perspectives, hear what uh, is new and upcoming uh, and what ideas people are working on um, is a really great chance for scholars such as myself who have just finished and have no institutional home. Um, so flying halfway around the world can be you know, very difficult to build into your, your, your day. Um, but being able to access some of this online provides not only you know uh, physical mobility accessibility, uh, but a host of other um, opportunities for accessibility. So, be it audio or, or visual, you know you can read ahead of time what 
participants have, have written, give you a synopsis of, of their presentation rather than showing up and being generally sort of in the dark and only having that short 250 word abstract. Um, I think a real value for me, having the opportunity to extend the conversation past those, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes that you maybe have during your, your, your conference. You, you say your paper, you give your PowerPoint presentation, you maybe get a few comments and questions from the audience, um, but that's sort of the end of the conversation. With the in-person, I find you are able to, you know, move out of that conference room, go into the hallway, maybe have lunch, have, a, have an impromptu <laughs> discussion or debate um, after the panel uh, and continue that throughout the conference. Go and see that, that person's conference where they, you know, say they're going to be speaking about X or Y point that they're, they're making on, on yours. So creating those, those networks and those connections is, I think, really important. Is there a possibility to maybe do something like this in the virtual space? Uh, it's harder to it's harder to have that effervescent embodied experience that Ruan is talking about, and your um, your attention span does drop. But maybe if we're connecting it to something like I don't know Second Life, where we're all actually in a virtual lobby with an avatar, that might be the next evolution uh, of some type of conferencing. So. Um, I'm a little bit ambivalent. I'm really excited to see, you know, what's out there, um, to see the different types of virtual opportunities uh, and accessibility opportunities that this virtual slash hybrid conferencing is going to allow me uh, to participate in. Um, I definitely rather be there in person. I think. Did anyone go to Distribute 2020? Oh, there's a no. conference in, in May 2020 with the, the Society for Visual Anthropology and the Society for Cultural Anthropology. I'm pretty sure. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Like we're two months into it, but they just made a whole bunch of infrastructural decisions that I just thought were fantastic. So um, every single lecture screened three times. They were pre-recorded and played at different time zones. So everyone around the world could go there. Uh, and then afterward, uh, there would be what they call the Zoom hallway uh, where people would just kind of go and banter. And the, the people that were hosting it, Mayanti Fernando, Andrea Mullerbach, uh, like a few different people. I don't know, I don't think they slept for the entire three days because they were, you know, making sure that the Zoom hallways were, you know, safe and everyone could chat and blah, blah, blah. And, but geez, there was a whole bunch of things that happened then um, that I think that I maybe have been forgotten for, for virtual conferences now that are facilitating these kind of spontaneous connections with people, like the capacity to kind of have parallel conversations, uh, as opposed to just like one person talking to the audience. Like that was something that they seemed to be really intentional about. And by the time that 2022 came around, they did the next iteration of it. It had changed entirely and they'd forgotten a whole bunch of the, those things. And so it's kind of a bummer that there were some things that we were learning early on about how to make, uh, you know, a strong sense of presence in a virtual conference that, that seemed to have been kind of waylaid now. I was going to say, because that's really interesting, because at the virtual conferences I've been to, they've all had some sort of like virtual tea room, virtual hallway or whatever. I've never gone in. I, I, it is just, even just the thought of it has been too intimidating for me to just like, and it's so silly, right? Like as an anthropologist, I, I throw myself into weird, awkward social situations. It, it's what we do. And yet the idea of like clicking into a random Zoom room without a sense of what I'm going to find, I was just like, no, I can't do it. I need to give a comment about this awkward conversation thing. And in China, online language, not recently, but these years, there's a saying that as long as you are not awkward, the awkward ones would be others. So you'll be fine. 
I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. But, Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, but what it did remind me of, I never had a chance to use this. No one I knew used this, but early, midway through COVID, I can't remember. Um, My partner, a friend of hers had a birth, like a virtual birthday party, and they used some software whose name I forget, where they went to the trouble of building this little like online 8-bit amusement park and people who mm. kind of like had a little avatars that wandered around and was oh, it gather could have been I, I wouldn't remember the name to be honest okay i've but, used i've used gather and it's like it's very similar to what you're describing you oh. very much could be it could be i can't remember the name but something that she said that i thought was really interesting and not something i thought about in-person socialization is she said what was interesting is that it had a clever thing where the closer your little person was virtually to somebody else the louder the conversation was and the mm. further the fainter which is actually a really easy way to kind of slowly include yourself in a conversation or not right like mm. you do it at parties and things without thinking too much or conference you know general discussion where you hear a bit of a something that perks your interest so you might stop listen mm. maybe subtly get closer and if you can find your way into the conversation mm. And that is an aspect of, I don't know, that sort of more casual socialization that I'd, the almost ability to not hear or slowly change the amount you're hearing mm. can help you socialize. Whereas a lot of virtual tools, it's all or nothing. Like right. either, either you are in that breakout room or you are not. And in Gather, and you I can also be a ghost. Uh, and that's a plus as well. That Definitely, yeah, yeah <laughs> a huge plus. But it made me think about just sort of how socialized, some of the mechanics, the mechanics of talking and listening but then how that informs how we behave socially but it also shows from my my listening my understanding of your talk just now is also shows that the limits of technology at this stage we always think that the technology is so advanced it could do so much things so many things for people to serve people's life but actually the nuance the nuance of the change of listening, the change of hearing, and is how it's relevant to our interaction, our relation with others, is not totally represented by technology at this stage yet. And issues that only avatar is not enough. <laughs> it's definitely not enough for me. I need those human, human interaction, what's the word, corporal interactions. Mm. Yes. So you're not ready for like, anthropology conferences in meta or whatever it is uh i'll, I'll be an active listener but i probably won't talk much <laughs> well i'm listening i'm probably cooking dinner it's more like a podcast for me in that case but i think like that's what lucky said that it was really good like if you're going to go virtual the ability to repeat keynote lectures because why not mm -hmm. and actually give mm -hmm. people a variety of ways and times to listen and take advantage of the format i mean if you're gonna go you might as well lean in right rather than try and recreate an in-person experience mm. that's my sort of view but something you said sean really highlighted it for me where you said you know when you're not in the academia when you're not in the academic world so either you're not a phd student and can hopefully maybe somehow get a bit of funding together or you know an academic and therefore it's kind of expected you go to conferences and things conferencing is hard uh, this year i'm lucky as i mentioned because it's in melbourne but i have really been thinking about what do i do next year if i'm still in the public service maybe doing a bit of uni lecturing but you know most jobs aren't like yeah no please take the week off go do this 
conference. Like, I guess I, you know, I guess I take leave, but I'm also trying to catch up with um, my interlocutors to do a bit of a debrief and all that sort of stuff, which will also be personal leave. Um, and it's like, how do you sort of try and chase up, follow up on your sort of commitments if you're not fully in the academic world? And virtual conferences, I, I, it may be, even if it is an Australian conference, it may still be the only way I can kind of do it. Uh, like another plus of virtual conferences is you can just like leave. You can just go boink, <laughs> exit. And just like how many rooms have you been in where you wished you could just uh, evaporate entirely? No? Is it not fantastic? I want to kind of like develop that. <laughs> like be in person, be like, oh, no, wait, you're dropping out. And then I run out the room or something like that. Um, <laughs> that'd be a treat, I think. I really want you to do that. I had a really boring talk at the AAA this year. Like, yeah, oh, I'll no, do it. Okay. Sorry, um, I'm gone. <laughs> oh. Can you use the excuse maybe to go to the bathroom? Sorry, I'm desperate. I'm my nature is calling. Yeah. Which probably not my nature of my blood later, but but my nature of running away from boring speech. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But then what about like the pretty classic idea of like what is the point of conferences? Because have any of you ever taken an idea or something from a conference and incorporated it into your work or the whole idea is that we're supposed to be sharing academic ideas blah 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 and yet we all keep talking that it's about the presential nature and being there. like why don't we throw a, oh you have sean i i can give you a concrete example um oh, so Hit yeah me. in 2000 uh in 2019 uh, at the AAA, i uh, organized a, a panel um, with some international scholars around sensing movement um, in embodied activities in anthropology, uh, principally from people who do sport and recreation, sport-like activities. Um, and we were really fortunate to have the senior editor of the journal Senses and Society in the room come to that presentation. Um, and from that, uh, we were able to develop a relationship with that publisher and publish a special issue, uh, which should be coming out this month, actually. It's taken a few years to get to that point. Um, but we took that initial idea of, okay, yeah, we've got, we all do movement-based practices and sensing is a part of, you know, movement and the anthropology of the senses. And yeah, we'll touch on that. It's maybe not our main work, um, but we've taken that idea and, and developed a sort of theoretical framework and an idea of incorporating more sensory aspects into movement-based practices uh, in different types of environments in sport and sport-like activities, be it, you know, baseball or football or swimming uh, or walking. Yeah. So the, the opportunity to actually be there in person, I think, uh, and to have those conversations for a few moments after or during the panels and to have somebody be able to spend that extra time reflecting um, on your contribution to the field. Um, I think that that's really important. And I'm not sure whether that would happen in a virtual setting or not. Actually, I have the experience more like engaged with online in the virtual space. Uh, I was in this student conference, grad, uh, grad conference for uh, PhD students probably in, back in 2019 in China. And then in 2020, COVID happened. And then one of those, like a couple of those 
organizers from Chicago University, um, PhD students from Chicago University, they start to organize this uh, online WeChat group, Corona mm -hmm. rating group, and then we read relevant uh, articles and uh, each week on different themes on medical anthropology, on contagious anthrop uh, disease anthropology, on biopower, on infrastructure and so forth. It's like every week you read on different things and then you meet online, start to discuss about this topic and relevant reading. And then later on when there's like different events, different stage of Corona, COVID-19 or of different other issues, critical issues happening in real life, people actually start to reflect on those events and start to have volunteer actions in real life. I think it's an example to sort of connect the virtual discussion at academic and standing and also real life engagements together. And in a way, it's a good good connection. Lockie, we haven't asked you the question. Uh, yeah, actually. You are actually going to the AAA uh, in Seattle in 22. How excited are you to, to go there? And, and what are your thoughts on being there in person after uh, the sort of absence of the in-person conference? Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I'm a little nervous about it because um, I, I find conferences kind of awkward and strange. I wanted to ask you all about that, like the culture of conferences and how we're meant to comport ourselves in those spaces. And so I'll, I'll flag that and leave it for later. Um, yeah, I'm nervous to be a, among a large group of people, um, you know, in, in person with them. Um, but no, I mean, I'm excited about it because what, one of the things that I really like, you know, something like you can click in or click out of a virtual conference like really, really easily. And you don't like I feel like uh, what all of us are kind of saying here that we're like, we kind of have a lesser level of commitment uh, to, to something because we all approach it more like a podcast or more like a, a YouTube clip or something like that. And whereas if you're in person, you have to really pretend to be listening or like you have to really listen, you got to be there like that. And, and what I really like about conferences is you get to see like the kind of landscape of imagination that exists in this year. Um, or you go and see a whole bunch of uh, kind of thematic threads uh, or conceptual threads and wonder why we're all thinking about this in this moment in time. I, I find that kind of stuff fun. So. I'm excited to do that um, and to be back in an in-person space like this and where I have to kind of be performing the good anthropology student. Um, but I'm also, yeah, terrified about delivering my paper. So swings and roundabouts. Performing <laughs> good anthropology students. Mm. Yeah. I read as it from that. Wait, that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a really important point you make, Lachlan, about the i guess the general flavor that you get of a conference while you're while you're there you're experiencing you're sensing um you're hearing conferences in the hallways you're seeing what books are coming out maybe going to the job talks seeing poster presentations listening to keynotes having conversations yourself you get that sense of and this year's AAA is unsettling landscapes what you know what does that mean for the discipline as a whole how are we talking about the different landscapes of anthropology in this 
moment. You know, how is medical anthropology? How is environmental anthropology? Um, how is feminist anthropology also speaking about this unsettled of landscapes? And sometimes there'll be like very just surprising things. Like I, I remember 2018, the AAA uh, infrastructure, everyone was talking about infrastructure and that's more of a consensual line. Uh, but in 2019, everyone just kept using the word kaleidoscope. I was like, why are we all using the word kaleidoscope this year? And it was like various different imaginations, like various different ways in which it was an image that would be kind of useful. But yeah, like everyone was thinking like a kaleidoscope. <laughs> why are we doing it? <laughs> but of course, the thing is, not all conferences are created equal, right? And this is, and this is, I think, in anthropology, especially where the AAA is above and beyond the biggest, most influential conference around the world like there's nothing else that really rivals is there when it comes to anthropology no yeah, thousands, thousands of attendees how many do we have a rough sense of how many it will be this year yeah i think like, five thousand, like six five-ish thousand yeah yeah whereas for comparison the aas that's the australian anthropological society's conference that ronan and i are going to if it gets more than if it gets more much more than 200 people that's like yeah good numbers yeah if it gets 300 people that's good numbers that's a good party but of course we don't i quite enjoy the the aas it's a fun conference it's people are known for just kind of being nice and no one being too harsh about your paper which pros and cons but it's nice particularly when you're like a junior academic um but it means you know we can sort of get a bit of a scope of what those few hundred anthropologists are saying but it's not the same as attending the AAA and being like oh right this gives me a sense of what basically the discipline is saying i mean the AAA in many ways is the anthropological discipline how do you feel like going to the discipline being in the discipline isn't this scary somehow <laughs> how do i feel you know it's terrifying uh, and i, I went yeah. to the AAAS in 20 maybe 15 and yeah it's like a real nice vibe um and there's a lot like a far fewer people who are like checking the name tags uh, you know to try to kind of work out if somebody's important or like in australia i just remember everyone in the, in the, the australian anthropology society conference just getting drunk um mm -hmm. just got a real drunk uh, like <laughs> several nights uh and there's all sorts of receptions and stuff at the AAA, but i think they're a little bit more closed off they're a little bit more you can only come if you're a paying member of blah blah blah, blah. in australia they're just kind of like yeah come along there's free wine <laughs> and where are sandals where are thongs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no i've been told i i've not attended the AAA, but i've been told it could be quite intimidating and there is a lot of inside parties and like people will host little parties in a hotel room and you know if you're in the know you're there and if you're not you're not mm. whereas look i'm sure there are little like private gatherings in the double but in my experience it's just anyone can turn up anywhere because <laughs> there aren't enough of us for it to be a big hassle <laughs> but you know i've also danced to um big wheels keep on turning rolling rolling like a was it rolling yeah i think i know like i can see yeah rolling okay. on the river. like i remember after one conference live brand doing some covers and i don't know how they just got everyone like everyone on the dance floor dancing to that i didn't <laughs> just expect like a to dance cover band no, no. and i did not expect no. to dance to like no. rolling down the river with like half of australian anthropology like not, Fred not Myers guys. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm going to have more incentive now to write my paper properly yeah. because i want to dance on in the dance floor with half of us. Mm -hmm. It's important. It's important. Yes. 
that paper is your entry ticket to the dance yeah. floor. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, I need to write it proper now. Like I need to present a whole rather than half. Oh, it's a used paper, used ticket. No, no way. <laughs> Yeah. So what do we do conferences? Like, what are they useful for? That's, see, that's what I've been trying to get at. My thing's always been quite ephemeral. Like, I've made connections. I've made friends. Yes, I've been invited to be part of a collecting thing that we're still trying to get submitted somewhere, blah, blah, blah. But again, like, yes, it was because I was kind of on a panel with those people. But at the same time, it was kind of more because we all vibe together, I, I would say, as much as it was our intellectual contributions hugely yeah. gelling it. It wasn't as extreme as your Sean, where you're like, oh, hey, we've come up with this new theoretical framework and we should totally apply it. We're more like, yeah, we all like each other's work. Should we try to do something? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's always been that really hard to quantify social aspect for me. I don't know how you guys feel. I think so much of like why we go to conferences is, is like, is, is, is a shared experience <laughs> in many ways. As anthropologists, because we all work so globally and so remotely, particularly when it comes to field work, we're all, you know, experts at the, uh, at the awkward social situation. But you put a bunch of experts who are going out in the field who are really good at social situations together, and we're really incredibly socially awkward together. Mm -hmm. as, as Lachlan said earlier, you know, we're like, <laughs> sort of like bounce off of each other like automatons, <laughs> robots in the hallways. Um, so, and I think, you know, it's, it, it offers an opportunity for, shared experience of you know one year once every couple of years uh to go and debate where the direction uh of going you know where what the theoretical frames were working on what are the collective you know questions about what it means to be human that are urgent and might not need to be solved but we need to at least begin addressing these um yeah and, and in that sense like yeah it's in a way, it's an embodied performance. Everybody gets up on stage and does their bit. Uh, but at the same time, we also get to all share in that together and do that collectively. Um, so I think it's also a bit of like, it's a bit of ritual. You know, it's a bit of reaffirmation of every year. Yes, we are still anthropologists. Yes, we are still doing anthropology. And, you know, we get an idea. <laughs> we, we don't we go back into our little silos in our offices and all over what does it mean to be human and then come back together and, and have a debate about it. Yeah. Also, not everyone interested in anthropology. I mean, like being anthropologists, we are sort of one group of people who's like not in the mainstream in a way. Even if we probably... this is the most listened to podcast on the internet. Mm -hmm. Wow, fancy. <laughs> I can't believe that. Eat your power out, Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we have billions of billions of billions of followers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yes, I, I guess like ha be, having a conference or being in a conference gave us this sense of belonging in a way. Hmm. Like, you know, it's like it's code and then the same group of people gathering together make maybe make people feel a bit warmer. That's my reflection. Here's a question. And it may and maybe it's related to what you're talking about, the need to like feel like anthropologists versus other disciplines. Um, some people I know, they're both in emergency medicine in one form or another, and they're going to a conference, and it is in the ski fields of Japan literally none of the presentations start till four in the afternoon so like mm -hmm. 
it's just blatantly about a lot of like doctors skiing and then loosely like talking a bit in the evenings. That sounds great. That sounds, that sounds real so good. jealous. <laughs> but why don't we do that in anthropology? But why, why, without wanting to jump jump into stereotypes about rich doctors skiing, why? Yes. Can they problem. make the conference feel? I don't know secure enough to make the conference let's be honest almost blatantly about skiing <laughs> with some conference in the afternoons whereas there's this real thing with anthropological conferences that we have to make clear like we are here for the discipline and yes yes we socialized but like you know we are here to why don't we put ours like social first and then you know if we manage to talk about anthropology that's mm. like what, what does that say about either our discipline or what they're doing to like why the difference if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like there might be two registers. Where, um, mm -hmm. One is that the macro register that anthropology doesn't really have too much clout, uh, except for this podcast, which is the most popular podcast in the world. Anthropology yeah. doesn't have too much clout. Um, <laughs> and so we need to really perform ourselves as a serious discipline. And then within the discipline, um, anthropology positions are far fewer than say medical doctor positions or something like this. And so we all need to perform ourselves as individual anthropologists while we perform the discipline itself. I, I feel like that we, we have a certain degree of urgency because we're losing anthropology, uh, anthropology departments all around the world. Right. And so maybe something like that. Um, but what do y'all think? I feel like we have this moral burdens on us all the time. I'm not saying that doctors are not moral. I'm doing medical anthropology to, to um for with doctors i love them they are very high moral people but at the same time we as anthropologists we quit constantly criticize on things that is immoral that is not good that is like make the whole world suffering and blah 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 we criticize gender uh, injustice everything that is in general not toward a good anthropology or good future of human. And if we prioritize socializing in our own conference, that's sort of like controversial to what we sort of advocate according to the current moral standards, say. Yeah, that's my understanding. Even though I do love to prioritizing socializing for sure. Do you think it also has something to do with anthropology as a discipline that it's a very individual form of research, right? Uh, where you're meant mm. to go and do field research by yourself and feel very peculiar and have all of your beliefs challenged and then come back and, and kind of write about it. We have this sense that like, I think the, we have an ideal of the lone researcher that definitely doesn't exist in the hard sciences. And so maybe there's something about uh, the discipline itself and our form of uh, our principal form of research that that structures these um uh i don't know like a protestant ethic of of performance you know yeah look i thought your comment that we perform our what, how did you say it it was really nifty where you sort of said we perform the discipline of anthropology at the same time we perform ourselves as individual anthropologists and how did i say that that's good yeah <laughs> listen, listen back to it afterwards you like oh, oh yeah oh, thank Great yeah, yeah. yeah but i thought that was really insightful and related to what you're just saying about particular ways we do research because for a social science that is all about studying human culture yeah it is almost necessarily individualistic i know some people don't do it individualistic and there is a 10 there's a modern trend 
to sort of be tacked onto a wider project and therefore you are kind of doing it with others, but I'd still say that's the real minority of cases. Mm. And because in anthropology, you know, we ourselves are our research implement, it's kind of necessarily we have to talk about our own experience, even if we're not trying to get too autoethnographic, it's still necessarily based on what I saw, what I heard, etc. And so, yeah, I do wonder whether, like you said, like in order to kind of perform ourselves, one, so, so to perform my expertise, as you say, so there's just that sort of like career building aspect to it that if I can't prove it by using all my instruments correctly or to turn around, if I am my instrument, I need to show you I've used my instrument correctly, mm. but also just the side of it that it can be weirdly isolating. Like fieldwork can be both weirdly isolating in the midst of hanging around with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I do wonder, and you know, this may this may come back to um, the chip, the eternal chip on the shoulder that anthropology has. But sometimes it is hard to, when I've not been chatting with anthropologists for ages or people who are in an anthro space, I get a bit depressed that no one else cares about what I care about. <laughs> that like I'll mm. say things or like look at the world in a particular way, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that's interesting, that's nice," but you know, whatever. We don't care. Yeah, yeah. and not, not not in a harsh way, just in a it's just not how they see the world, and that's that. They will like look at you. Mm, you're interesting. Yeah, we're kind of useless. I am awkward. Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> hey, you've got some nice sweeping theories. You want to slow them all down and make them way more nuanced and less applicable? Like yeah. we're real good for that. Uh, but yeah, Businesses not good to talk to. Yeah, I've got an idea for a I don't know what a piece, an article, a blog post, something about like tender evaluations, which is to do with like a procurement and how businesses buy things and evaluate bids. And I really want to like ask people about, you know, okay, but how does this, what does this mean about how we understand value and co-construct value and have to come to a consensus on value? And this turns the subjective qualitative into like quantitative. And they're like, yeah, but like, which one are we buying? Like, at the end of the day. <laughs> I have <laughs> similar experience. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Finish yeah. it. Let me share my, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm working like, as event stuff, as a side hustle. And then like these two teammates are half, they're really good. They're really good at throwing this event get together and like pulling all kind of resource together. I was sitting in a conference with them, in a meeting with them. I was like, mm, they two look like dancing together and they are compatible with each other. They're really good at this. I saw them like doing the whole thing as composing. Like I start to abstract the whole concept, the whole event as a concept-ish stuff. And then suddenly I realized, no, you are like that, like the assistant of the assistant of the assistant. You're not supposed to sit here and conceptualize them. You're supposed <laughs> to listen and do whatever they tell you and fill in all the spreadsheets. Stop conceptualize people. <laughs> I think like, I guess maybe like a final thought for me would be like at the end of at the end of the day, you know, we get to do like our our deep hanging out in the field with our interlocutors, um, and then we go back to our anthropology departments where people might not be working on the same, like working within the discipline, but maybe not on the same topic material. Um, and the conference gives you the opportunity to meet different anthropologists from around the world who are maybe also working on the same topic of material as you, and to be able to have, you know, a deeper 
or a longer conversation about that thematic space, whether it's, you know, sport, economy, medical anthropology, time, temporalities, uh, that, I don't know, a, an online chat group, I guess you could build those together, but it seems to galvanize a little bit more organically in conference spaces. That's all we have time for today. I want to thank Ronan. Thank you. Sean. Thanks. And Alex. Thanks, Lucky. And me, your host, Lachlan. Today's episode was produced by all of us here at The Familiar Strange. Our executive producer is the wonderful Matthew Fong. Subscribe to The Familiar Strange podcast. You can find us on iTunes or the, all the other familiar places, including Spotify. And if you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thefamiliarstrange. Not The Strange Familiars, which is another fun podcast, just not ours. You can find the show notes, including a list of all the books and papers mentioned today, plus our blog about anthropology's role in the world at thefamiliarstrange.com. If you want to contribute to the blog or have anything to say to me or the other hosts of this program, email us at submissions at thefamiliarstrange.com, tweet at TFS Tweets, or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Music by Peter Dabro. Special thanks to Nick Farrelly, Will Grant, Martin Pierce, and Maud Rowe. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep talking strange. <laughs>